does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Uh, yesterday, Percy told me that, Mark, one of the more underrated parts of this program is your fire re-entries that you select. Well, thank you. I would agree. Quite the DJ. There's um, always something there. He doesn't just play it to play it. He's the music coordinator, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, occasionally ascends himself up into Mark the the coaching you know you the move a, a rung liar that's right thank uh, you uh, rare a, error, a rung right? higher I should say in the coaching quarters that's what Eric Bieniemy among others would like to do uh, a lot of moving parts when it comes to the Colts right now Kevin in terms of trying to determine not only the head coach but the route that they might go at quarterback as well because we now know that a guy like Derek Carr is going to be moving on. I, I'm with you. There's no way they go that route, right? <laughs> no. You know the Michael Scott gif? Just no, 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 no. Yeah. Yes. That's my thoughts. And I think Derek Carr is a fine quarterback. Fine. But you look at the money. You know, like this, uh, of all the retread things the Colts have done at quarterback here over the last couple of years... The car situation has the most commitment to it financially. Um, Field Yates, who we're hoping to have on the on the show next week um, from ESPN, he tweeted out these figures yesterday. It's just astronomical to look at it. Derek Carr over the next three years, his base salary thirty one point nine million, forty one point nine million, and forty one point three million. To get a guy that, what, has been in the league for a decade and has played one playoff game? No, thank you. The problem is that the, whatever happens with Derek Carr, if he does get moved, uh, that will have effects on what the Colts do in the draft because the Raiders have the seventh overall pick. So you'd think if they move they move Carr, they'll be itching to move up to get a quarterback in the draft. Now, it's a great point, Mark. And there are some teams, and you mentioned this briefly yesterday, just behind Indy that I think we have to keep an eye on. You know, Seattle's got two first-round picks. Mm-hmm. You know, what does Carolina do? You obviously brought up the the Raiders. Again, Chicago is just in a golden, golden situation where they don't need to panic. They've got desperate teams lined up behind them, and they can dangle that number one pick and say, who wants it and how willing are you to trade up? For that, so I am of the opinion that Derek Carr. The last thing I saw someone mention yesterday, I'm picturing a Colts offseason of Derek Carr, Jeff Saturday, and a drafting of left tackle at number four. <laughs> hey, would that that be a jump off the monument? I mean, that would be. I do like Derek Carr. I, listen, I can't sit here and be somebody that backtracks on what I've said previously on this show. I, I love the leadership of Derek Carr. He's a fine quarterback, Jake, but he, no. He is, but, they, but he has had talent. And, you, you know, and Arguably it's his time, best running back wideout duo in the NFL last year. It's time for the Colts t- to reset it. I mean, there's no doubt. At some point, you've got to do it, and I understand that. It's, it's time to get going, right? Uh, any of these coaching candidates stick out to you? At all so far. Again, three interviewed. Bubba Ventrone, Giro Avero, 
who ironically, if you look at Averro, he's the Denver defensive coordinator. He coached on the offensive side of the ball under Jim Harbaugh in San Francisco for a few years. Eric Bieniemy interviewed late last night, and then reportedly today, Raheem Morris, D.C. with the Rams, offense coordinator Ben Johnson with the Lions, and then tomorrow, Shane Steichen, offense coordinator from the Eagles. Any of those, Jake, stand out to you? I'll tell you, disingenuous for me to sit here and say that I know the ins and outs of every coach, right? And there are certain coaches that we don't know much about them or their abilities until they ascend into the head coaching position. And then you really, you know, you get a feeling, you go, wow, you know, how do we miss this guy? And sometimes coaching is a lot more about you know, what is it they say? More about the Jimmys and Joes than the X's and O's, right? I mean, look at Sean McVay. He was the greatest thing in the history of coaching a year ago, and then this year they're the Rams, the bottom falls out. Injury's a big part of that. He doesn't have as many players, and now is he going to continue to coach? Still got Mrs. McVay. Now, <laughs> having said that, uh, the guy that, that actually, Kevin, you probably have sold me on without even realizing you have – a guy that I'm pretty intrigued by is Raheem Morris. You know, I remember when he was the head coach in Tampa. 32 years old, by the way. He was young. Then. And, you know, Stephen Holder, for example, covered those Tampa teams and speaks very highly of him. Um, and I trust Stephen's opinion in that regard. This has nothing to do with coaching acumen, I realize, but my cousin lives in Tampa and is a – Huge Bucks fan, season ticket holder, the whole deal. Arr. And <laughs> look at you. Arr. you. You like doing the pirate voice every yeah. once in a while? You know, as soon as I said that out loud, I'm like, oh, jeez, <laughs> Jake loves pirate voices. <laughs> I do. That was just uh, what we a big had, Friday mistake. Yesterday, we, we've had increasing chatter for requests for my British voice, by the way. But I think that was one of your burner accounts. Yeah, I'm not, clearly, not convinced that was some I actual person. I, I, I have a, a burner account. Um, Valerie, my cousin, used to talk all the time when he was there about what a great guy Raheem Morris was in the community. That doesn't win you football games. But I think it shows a, a leadership slash maturity about him that maybe didn't translate into the football field as a young person. But I think that he does have a reputation as being a really good leader that is probably ready to again try his hand at head coaching you know something i thought about with the enemy move last night jake and this might be a tad galaxy brain so i apologize if it is that but what's one of the knocks on eric Bieniemy? how much say does he have in kansas city right how much is he really stirring that sh- you know right. drink like you know is it all mahomes and reed well what if you hired a raheem morris as your head coach and then Eric Bieniemy came here as the offensive coordinator and called the plays. And he ran the offensive show. He got out of the Kansas City cloud. Does he view that as, hey, we've had unbelievable success here in Kansas City, won a Super Bowl. Hell, they might win a Super Bowl here in the coming weeks. But do I feel like to finally get that head coaching job, I've got to get out of this situation, prove that I can run the entire offensive show, and maybe that will open up some eyes. That is something I think to keep in mind with some of these candidates. Ajiro Avero, which I'm always having trouble to say, the candidate that was interviewed yesterday afternoon, again, defensive coordinator in Denver last year. Well, look at Denver right now. They're looking for a head coach. So seemingly Avero is 
is free. Um, would he make sense if you hired more of an offensive-minded head coach there? So I think some of these, yes, they could be head coaching candidates, of course, but also if you hire predominantly one side of the ball or the other, these guys could factor into coordinators. But, and I do think, you know, look at what happened to Matt Eberflus here. He ran the show defensively. That was his baby. Frank Reich didn't even touch it. And what happened? He was able to parlay that into a head coaching gig. You know, do do people view that opportunity here in Indy? If you're Eric Bieniemy, why though would you leave being the offensive coordinator where Patrick Mahomes is your pilot? Because he haven't gotten a head coaching gig in four years. But I'm saying to be an o, if you were saying like if he to be an O coordinator elsewhere, I mean, but to call the plays. And to be Better. the one that that's really leading that. I think a lot of people, rightfully so, think that Andy Reid is the guy there. And that has kind of stunted a little bit of, you know, how much people have belief, I guess, in Eric B. Enemy. So I do think that is something to uh, keep an eye on. I saw a report yesterday. I meant to mention this a little bit earlier. Um, we've, we've talked Pacers, a little bit of trade deadline. A guy in the building tonight that I think is frequently mentioned with the Pacers John Collins. I was just going to say John Collins, who they could have had in the draft, right? He, yeah, the old TJ Leaf over John Collins. John Collins, when he went through the draft process, the question marks about John Collins were his commitment and his maturity. Now, obviously, uh, interestingly enough, those are two things that ended up doing in TJ Leaf, quite frankly. I don't know that you know T.J. Leaf was asked by the Pacers to do some things in the off seasons that he declined, or was going to do on his own, and you know just kind of never worked out for him. And I think at UCLA, had they, and I'm sure the Pacers did do their homework. Don't get me wrong, but I think that there was some question about T.J. Leaf um, in terms of his just kind of being a pain at UCLA. Um, so. Choosing that over John Collins is interesting, but Collins has been a good player for Atlanta. And I do think that is a bit of a missing ingredient for Indiana. Like, when O'Shea Brissett was out the other night, I'm thinking to myself, who the hell is going to play the four? Yeah. Because Neesmith has been a guy that's played with, with that starting unit. The Pacers have really by, gotten small I'm intrigued by this year. when Tice gets healthy, what if they play him or what, what they do with him. Yeah, John Collins is a name kind of thrown around there. Um, so tonight, inside of GameBridge Fieldhouse, Pacers are a three-and-a-half-point underdog, last I saw. Again, Tyrese Halliburton out for two weeks. For those that missed that update, we'll be re-evaluated. Kristen Airy going to join us in about an hour to talk more about that. Uh, recent broadcaster of the year, correct, Kristen Indiana Ari? Sportscaster of the Year, correct. Bob Kravitz on the written side. Well-deserved for both of those parties. Uh, speaking of someone that I'm almost positive has won that award, Greg Rakestraw is going to join us next year. Kevin and Query on a Friday, 93.5. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And five the fan. Eight o'clock hour underway. Jake Query here along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton is flying the ship for us this morning on a Friday. Hope you folks are set for a fantastic weekend. Pacers, Hawks tonight. 
over at the Fieldhouse, and then it is Memphis. And what I understand is a sellout tomorrow night for John Morant. No Tyrese Halliburton. We now know that that is going to be, at minimum, a two-week stint for the Pacers without their point guard. And no back-to-back for Memphis tonight. I know some people that probably bought tickets thought, I want to see John Morant. Good news with no Friday game. Not good for the Pacers, but Memphis with all those Indiana connections, Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Conchar and Desmond Bain and uh, Jake LaRavia. Uh, definitely one of the more anticipated home games the Pacers will have all season. Been a lot of ticket requests for that, I can assure mm. you of that. Uh, joining us now on the Payless Liggers Hotline, he, of course, you heard him on these airwaves often after Colts games as part of the Colts postgame show. In addition to that, with the ISC Sports Network covering all kinds of high school sports. Greg Rakestraw joins us. Good Friday to you, Greg. Good morning, my friends. How we doing? Uh, we're, we are, I guess, grammatically correct. We would say we are well, right? Is that right? No, we are good. I'm doing well, but I am good. I guess that would be correct. But uh, nonetheless, let's begin with this. Colts coaching search. Eric Bieniemy last night. I was... Kevin and I were talking about it. His name has obviously been around for a long time. I believe that's the 15th franchise now that has interviewed Eric Bieniemy for a head coaching position. I hadn't necessarily heard ahead of time that he was one the Colts were going to bring in, but Jim Mercer announcing last night that they had conducted that interview. What's just overall your temperature, if you will, on the coaching search, Greg? Um, that the Colts should take their time on this, and by all accounts, they are. You know, I want them to bring in as many different candidates as possible to kind of run the spectrum of, you know, let's look at who's out there. Um, again, knowing that you're thinking it for they're going quarterback, I would lean more towards an offensive-minded coach than a defensive-minded coach. And I clearly think that's been the trend for the for a while in the National Football League that you know, a guy like Matt Eberflus going to the Bears is almost the exception to the rule of having a defensive-minded head coach or a head coach with a defensive background first. Uh, but take your time and, and get this right. Now that you've determined, hey, this is going to be Chris Ballard going forward, and you kind of know what the needs are for this group already, you don't have to be as, to me, as rapid fire in terms of, hey, let's go to the next hot prospect in as the head coach. Go through the process. Get as many people in here as possible to try to find the right guy to, to lead this group going forward. Rake, on that front, um, you mentioned Chris Ballard kind of leading things right now. Thomas brought this up to me. If Jim Harbaugh was interested in this job, would he be talking more to Jim Ursay though? Because potentially that would impact Chris Ballard's future here? Um, that is certainly a potential. Uh, and I think that any of the guys that have previous experience, let's face it, okay, the two headliner candidates, and they mean they're the best fit here. Uh, I think Harbaugh's more of a, a great fit than, than Sean Payton would be. But those two, you know, top candidates probably want to bring in their own personnel guy. And, you know, is, is that completely off the table? I wouldn't think so. Um, but let's face it, okay, if, if Jim Harbaugh wanted the job, and reach at the Jim Irsay, would Jim spear that over Chris? Certainly, potentially. Do I think that would get in the way of Jim getting the job here as in Harbaugh? No, I do not. Kenny's Greg Gregstraw. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, ISC Sports Network, uh, Marion County semifinals and finals coming up this weekend. We'll get into the high school section with Rake here in just a few. Uh, one more Colts one from me, though. 
Um, Personnel-wise, obviously quarterback, we we don't need to go over that in terms of the importance and that clearly being number one on the offseason list. Outside of QB, I mean, Chris Boward said earlier in the week that feels like Bernard Ryman's a left tackle of the future. What position would you put number two on the list behind quarterback? Either cornerback or wide receiver. Um, and, and, and let me again explain, because the other obvious name of the quarterback from how this team played was offensive line. Um, I still think the offensive line is, is largely going to be together next year. Again, you've got you know Ryan Kelly under contract. You've got Braden Smith under a lengthy extension. You've got Quentin Nelson under a lengthy extension. I couldn't intelligently tell you how Will Fries played in, in coming in for the right guard position in comparison to the variety of options they had at right guard during the course of the year. And so I, I just don't see them you know, saying, okay, quarterback is one, offensive line is two. Those are things that have to get better. I'm not sure that correlates to the draft order. And so corner becomes a need depending on what happens with Stephon Gilmore. Wide receiver is a need, well, because wide receiver has been a need for some time. And, and if you're not going to address in free agency, which the Colts might in March, then I think you're looking at that in terms of the um, you know, in terms of, of early in the draft, and it'd be, it'd be a similar time, if not a little bit sooner, than say you got a guy like Michael Pittman Jr., who clearly is a key part of your offense going forward. Greg, every team seemingly says after the draft, the board fell exactly as we thought it would. That's exactly how we thought it would be, and we got the guy that right. you know. They all say that. There are really two two schools of thought. And everybody says that typically they just go with like best player available, da da da. Has Chris Ballard been more of a draft to needs or best player on his board at time of draft guy? And will he alter the direction in which he has typically gone? Well, what I will say is this is that I, I think that the uh, the needs will match the board. How's that for a draft cliche for you this year? Um, because, again, the Colts have not been in this position since 2018, and when they were in this position, you had Andrew Luck. You didn't have to go out and, you know, you, you weren't reaching for a quarterback. So let's face it, and Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the position that the Colts had at three and the trade with the Jets became Sam Darnold, right? Yes, uh-huh. And, and hindsight would tell you perhaps that was a reach, not by the Colts, but by the Jets, to draft him at three. And so the Colts have not been in that position. And let's also face it, the last two times the Colts have drafted a quarterback, they've been at number one when you clearly kind of know who the guy is going to be. And the Colts also have the good fortune of drafting a quarterback in drafts like ones that had Peyton Manning and Andrew Locke, where you're going to be set for several years You know, once you made that pick. There is not that certainty at four, but it's still a spot where you go, all right, what the Colts need and where you could get that sort of player, you're hitting that intersection of those two points. So I would say Chris has been more of a draft the best player available by investing in a left guard at pick number six. Uh, and the other example would be last year where the Colts, we all thought, had a pretty glaring need at left tackle. You know, they brought in Eric Fisher as a stopgap, but in a, in a draft that was very you know heavily tackle-oriented, Quiddy Pay was the guy that was brought in. And Quiddy seems to be a pretty solid player, 
But there's also a guy, for example, named Christian Derisaw that's a starting left tackle of Minnesota Vikings. I think he's basically started every game in the last two years. He was still available when you know the Colts were on the board last year. So I would say typically Chris has been the guy that would draft the best player available. This year, I think best player available and need are, could be one of the same, and that's generally where you hit your sweet spot in terms of the draft. Greg Gregshaw is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, ISC Sports Network. Rick, shifting gears, uh, mentioned it earlier, the stat is rather astonishing. 23 of 27. That is Wisconsin over Indiana since 2008. Uh, they've won the Badgers 23 of their last 27. I look at Wisconsin this year, and, and they got a guy in their starting lineup who's a freshman, Rake, averaging double figures from Fort Wayne. I don't remember him too much from his high school days, as if Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer at Purdue don't add enough insult to injury. Indiana fans, If and I hope I'm saying his name right. Is it Connor Asijan? You nailed it. What do you call about him back in his high school days? He's averaging double figures for him. Well, the, the people in Albion would be mad that you called them Fort Wayne since he went to Central Noble High School. So, oh, Gosh, is, is, is that not Fort Wayne? That it, it is the Fort Wayne area, but it is not Allen County. It is the county that is kind of to the northwest. Apologies uh, to the Noble Faithful. Well, thankfully, I don't think the 10575 signal is getting up there. I think you're okay. <laughs> yeah, um, we barely get to Noblesville. I, I was going to leave that for you, uh, but there you go. Uh, I throw the softball, you knock him out of the park. Well done. Uh, but Connor Seeds is actually a player. Uh, Connor played at a 2A school, led them to the, to the state championship game, where in the minds of some, they were upset by Providence last year. Um, but But Connor... Want to say he, I know he's the all-time leading scorer in Central Noble. He might be the all-time leading scorer in the county at this point because he had a phenomenal prep career. And you know, you, when the when, when a kid racks up big numbers at a smaller school, you always wonder how ready he is uh, to play at a, at a major college level. I had one chance to see him play last year, and that was again against smaller school competition in Bar Reeve. But athletically, he looked the part. Unfortunately, he got hurt. Uh, and couldn't play in the Indiana All-Star Series. He was there, but didn't play. But, you know, he was ready to be a Big Ten athlete, even playing at a 2A high school. And so I'm not surprised that he is doing great things at Wisconsin. Wisconsin rarely recruits players from the state of Indiana. So it's it's kind of... Yeah, first one since 97, I saw. Charlie Wills, I think, was the last Mm -hmm. one uh, back in 97. Uh, But Connor can play. Uh, and so I'm, I'm not surprised that he is doing very well up in Madison for Greg Garden. Greg, we always have around the state a player or two that goes on like, you know, Kevin's talking, I mean, exactly that. A guy that sure. by the time they're three, you know, three quarters away through their college career, you go, man, I have no memory of that guy playing high school basketball in Indiana. Give me a player or two right now in the state that doesn't get the headlines, that doesn't get a lot of attention, that is flying kind of off the radar, but is a legitimate college prospect and one that people are sleeping on and that yet he is going to make his high school proud in a couple of years on the national scene? Well, I would, I would say the most direct correlation in terms of, you know, from a small school outside of, you know, a, well, an hour or so removed at least from the Indy area would be Joey Hart. Now in Southwest Indiana, that kid's a, a, a well-known commodity and a big deal he is going to play at the University of Central Florida. Um, again, is he a Mr. Basketball candidate? Kind of on the fringe this year of that. Is he a definitive Indiana All-Star? Absolutely. 
Uh, obviously, his dad has been in the news for the wrong reasons, uh, with uh, unfortunately, you know, being kind of on suspension right now because of a uh, public intoxication case. But dad is head coach at Linton Stockton. Dad played at Coastal Carolina. Back played against the Fab Five uh, in, in the NCAA tournament back in 1993. So Joey's going to play at Central Florida, which now is you know a, a pretty high level of college basketball. Even it's a pedigree program that doesn't have this great pedigree. He would be the most direct corollary in this year's class to a similar path that Connor Asijan took to get to Wisconsin. Are you Southport bound tonight? I am Southport bound each of the next two nights. And so, what do we got? We got that is Southport's in it, right? They're in the semifinals. Obviously, Ben Davis. I forget who else rounds out the final four for the Marion County so, Tourney. So, so you reference the second semifinal. The first semifinal is Pike and Lawrence North who have yet to play each other this year. Their regularly scheduled game is February the 17th. So uh, I think these are going to be two pretty good semifinals. It is a Pike team that we kind of had some question marks about coming into the season, but they've got a very experienced point guard in in Devin Woods. He's probably more of a a D2 NAI level kid, but a really good high school basketball player. Uh, Pike was a little bit young coming in, but they've been playing really well as of late. LN's got young talent, what Lawrence North doesn't have is a lot of size. They are largely a 6-3 and under team, which is rare for a Lawrence North team. No Jack Kiefer, obviously, which catches your attention. Chris Giffen is in his first year as, as the head coach. Only second head coach in the history of Lawrence North High School. The first 46 years had been served by Jack Kiefer. That'll be a good matchup of, of two solid teams. Then you get to number one, Ben Davis. If they win tonight... It is their best start since the 30s. Hmm. The 16-0 start matches their 93-94 team that didn't win a state championship, but they won one the next two years. The other stat that will catch your attention is that Ben Davis, for their prowess in basketball, has not won the Marion County Tournament since 1995. They were ahead by double digits in the final last year, and North Central came back to surprise them. The other thing that certainly bears mentioning is the fact that the closest that Ben Davis has come to losing this year was at Southport Fieldhouse to Southport on November the 30th. Cardinals took him to overtime before Ben Davis won. Southport has a pretty experienced group this year. Beat a Lawrence Central team was playing really well in the quarterfinals in their building on Wednesday night. That will not be a cakewalk for Ben Davis. We should have two really good semifinals this evening. Rick, I was up at uh, Fisher's yesterday and was talking with a couple people on their basketball staff, and they were raving about Jalen Harrelson, the sophomore up there. Uh, I think consensus kind of top 10 recruits, that he's just a great, great kid. And it kind of hit me, like, we're in this era right now, I guess, in Indiana, where you've got a top 10 Mm-hmm. basketball recruit in each class or at least each of the top three classes Xavier Booker and feel free to correct me on the pronunciation Flory Badunga you nailed it 100%. Okay. and then Jalen Harrelson have you seen Harrelson from from Fishers I know certainly Indiana and Purdue have their eyes on him we had him I didn't have their game we had him at South Florida they played in the forum tip-off classic I will see them on February the 14th when they play at Lawrence North so I have not had him in a game yet but obviously, I know of the background, and what I hear about him, in addition to you know his overall talent, is that while he is obviously the dominant force in their in their offense, it's not like he is going to shoot the ball every time. That he is great about involving his teammates and making sure the ball moves 
on a regular basis. They, again, had some talent graduate off of last year's team. Their record has been, you know, kind of 500 or so. They're going through some through some lumps in, in a pretty tough schedule. Their credit, you know, obviously in the HCC, they're playing a great schedule. They play most of the mixed schools. They play in, you know, a lot of these kind of shootout events, you knowing they've got a player like Jalen to kind of showcase his talents. But he is a really good player and worthy of all the recruiting hype that goes around him. You know the one player I meant to ask about, Greg, that I've heard a lot about? Greg Rakestra is our guest on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Um, and I started hearing about this kid... Damon Bailey comparisons are really unfair, I get. But only comparison I make there is that I started hearing about this kid like when he was an eighth grader. I think he's now a sophomore uh, down in the southern part of the state at Heritage Hills. Trent, is it Sisley or Sisley? Sisley, you got it. Um, He's a power forward, right? And I guess Purdue got in on him early. I mean, we'll see. But, you know, oftentimes, Greg, as you know, guys at a young age can get tabbed really highly sure and then everybody kind of catches up to them in terms of you know just maturation physical maturation he was a huge name early and is still pretty big is he going to sustain towards the upper echelon of the state in terms of recruits i think so because there's a pedigree there uh, so his older brother blake plays at Wright state was an indiana all-star two years ago and was an indiana all-star on the deepest class the state has ever had um you know, his brother was an all-star in a year where there were guys that you know were going to, to power five conferences that didn't make the all-star team that's how good that group was two years ago his dad matt played at southeast missouri state so i i, I understand and can cite examples of guys that were six five six six as a freshman you go, hey he's starting to get big 10 level interest two years later he's still six five six six and all of a sudden that major college interest becomes mid-major or low division one interest i don't think that's the case there because again against his peers he's been one of the better players in the midwest and again you also have a little family history there we know all right this is a family that has dad's a college basketball player older brother's a high level college basketball player we think this kid's better than even those two players again i i do think that that interest will will sustain uh in in trent rick before we let you go we brought this up to end the show yesterday Flory Badunga made 32 straight shots. That is correct. And when most of them are taken atop the rim, you know, that's, 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 that's I was going to say, how many guess. were dunks? Do you know? Um, probably 33 of the 32. That <laughs> would be my guess. Um, that's, and, that's and, incredible. And, right. I mean, he is still a work in process and to his credit. He does not force shots that he does not feel he's capable of making. Most everything he does is, is, not even 10 feet it in, but five feet it in. He's got some good composers. He's got a nice drop step, little jump hook. Um, as he hits the AAU circuit this offseason, uh, I'm sure working on that perimeter game, that pick-and-pop game, maybe even a three-point game, will be things that, that he will do. He is, he is recruited on the raw ingredients, which are jaw-dropping, and also his character, which by all accounts is really good. Uh, I've had one interaction with him. Could not have been a nicer kid. He speaks four different languages. French is the language he grew up speaking predominantly in in the Congo, uh, but his English is, is quite good too. Pretty good as, as much as his basketball is. So he's drafted for his athletic draft, and he will be at some point. But he's looking at major college, you know, basketball for his athleticism, his rebounding, his defense, his offense is a work in progress. But 
if you can if you can get above the rim and get in transition, um, you're not going to find a higher percentage shot than that dunk, which he is prone to do on a night-in, night-out basis. All right, last thing here, Greg. We're going to play a fun game. We're going to play a three-team round-robin between the Indiana High School All-Stars of your graduating class, of Kevin's graduating class, and of my graduating class. Okay? Okay. Give me your year. 1994. Okay, I've got it right here. The 1994 Boys All-Stars. We'll let mm-hmm. Mark Dykton determine which of these three teams is best. Bryce Drew. Hang Lee- on a second. Hang on a, hang on a second. We're letting the guy that's not from Indiana determine this. Yeah. Point. Well, that might actually be a decent barometer, I guess. Uh, Bryce Drew, Lee Nalon, who was very underrated. Sean uh, Doherty. Is it Doherty or Daughtery? Um, Doherty. I also, I also played at Wisconsin. Uh, Brian Hanley, John Newhauser, Scott Combs. Uh, T, is it Tease Darner? That's Link Darner's brother. Tig. 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 Okay. Gerard Powers, Ladrell Whitehead, Shane Miller, Don Mallory, and Bonzi Wells. Is that the Colt Gerard Powers? <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's a solid team. Okay. Kevin, your year? Well, Rick, you got to vote for my year because Alex Young scored how many points at IUPUI? And you called uh, a, a bazillion. And I think he's third in our all time scoring Thank list. you. And you called how many of those games? Uh, 2008. So obviously Gordon Hayward. And others. I think there was a Zeller there. Okay, hang on. 2008. I got to go to... I got to go back. See, this. I'm in the 90s right now. Somehow I've got to get back to... I got it right here. Okay, go ahead Uh, with yours. Garrett Butcher, Randy Davis from Plymouth, of course. Gordon Hayward, Braden Hobbs, Kyle Couric, Julian Mavunga, Julius Mays, Daniel Moore, Zach Novak, Walter Offit, Chase Stegall, Larry Stone, Alex Young, and Tyler Zeller. Pretty solid. Pretty solid. All right, 1991. Andre Owens, Steve Nicodemus, Damon Bethea, LaSalle Thompson, Ryan Wolf, Chris Wilburn, Jeff Massey, Brandon Brantley, Andy Elkins, Marlon Fleming, Brian Evans, Lamar Morton, Alan Henderson, Glenn Robinson. Oh, jeez. Well, until you said the last two, I was feeling good. <laughs> if we're playing two-on-two, two, I like Jake's chances. <laughs> yeah. If, 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 hey. if we're going depth of class, I'm kind of partial to... Bryce Drew hitting a game-winning shot from my class. That's where I'm leaning. You know, Drake, part of me was Drake, like, wait, do I have on. the best NBA player? And then Jake started rattling off it. I mean, I've got, I've got one, two, three, four, five. I've got seven Big Ten players. Yeah, I mean, yours is definitely. Allen Henderson and Glenn Robinson. Does are we counting it against that Allen Henderson actually dropped off due to a scheduling conflict? To make it competitive, I think we're going to need to. Yeah, Alan Henderson dropped off the All Star team. No, I, I have no, no. He counts. I mean, come on. Let's face it. That's that. That's the second final ever played at the RCA Dome or the Hoosier Dome at the time, and those two played against each other, and they were, you know, like like of the last since that time in terms of like one two debates for Mister Basketball. The only other one that I thought was comparable to Allen and the Big Dog would have been Jared Jeffries and Zach Randolph. So no, he counts. Yeah. And Rake, are, are they changing up the Indian All Star schedule or doing junior games or something? I saw. So, what they are doing is they're going to play four games that day at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, the traditional seniors of Indiana versus Kentucky. But there's going to be an Indiana Futures game, or sorry, there's going to be a girls Futures game and a boys Futures game that takes place as well uh, Saturday, June 10th at Gamebridge. Got it. Some of these teams Got are it. stacked, by the way. No, without 88, question. Woody Austin, Sean Woods, Sean Kemp. opened up a discussion topic for the next hour and 36 minutes. Yeah, we Chandler need, we need to save this for July. That's right. Jake. You that's got, right. what, is it 2012? Is that the Gary Harris class, Rake? I mean, that, that's got to be Correct. up there with others. 
Um, he, and I, I, I cited that 2021 class right. as being the deepest in the history of Indiana. There's already a kid in the NBA from that group. <laughs> that, that, that team was so. I mean, there, there. I think of guys like DJ Hughes and Kurt Hope that couldn't even make the All Star team that year, and there were numerous other guys like them that you would say in virtually any other year they've been an Indiana All Star. The class of two years ago was so ridiculously good. That is absolutely absurd. He is Greg Rakestraw tonight. Southport for him. Again, Ellen and Pike, and then Southport and Ben Davis. Rake, enjoy uh, one of the best gyms in uh, Indiana this weekend. Thanks, fellas. Have a great weekend. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Kristen Aaron going to join us in a few. Final hour of the week. It's, I'd say, a tad unusual, Jake, to get to a Friday. And Obviously, we're used to having Pacers in action on Fridays. Pacers and Hawks tonight at 7. Tomorrow, the Grizzlies in town. But then you've got two college basketball games here in the state tonight as well at the you know high major level. Butler hosting Villanova and Purdue hosting Nebraska. Purdue a 15.5 point favorite over Fred Hoiberg and company. And boy, you want to know how bad Villanova's been this year? Butler's favored. Butler's a 1.5 point favorite. That Villanova has... I mean, can you imagine what the... Now, interestingly enough, I don't know that a sports radio program in Philadelphia probably talks much Villanova. A lot of Eagles right now, I would guess. Yeah, so, but can you imagine? I mean, there's got to be concern there, right? And then Jay Wright's in Bloomington this weekend to meet with Scott Dolson? That's right. <laughs> Kidding on that front. Well, maybe. <laughs> Are you? Uh, Spiro Didis on the CBS call with Bill Rafferty and Jay Wright. I've heard Jay Wright in studio have enjoyed that. I've not heard him on a game yet, so. I just think Jay Wright is a class guy all the way around, man. I thought he was a great coach. Uh, loved the way he ran his program. Mentioned before, when the NCAA tournament was here and all of the teams were you know, basically sequestered or. Yeah, the COVID. Yeah, tournament. the COVID year. And I asked staff. I used to love to, you know. At one of the hotels, I'm like, so it, the JW, which is where all the teams initially stayed, and I talked to like three different staff people. I'm like, hey, so what team was like, and they were like, oh, Villanova was, they were polite, they thanked us every day, they could not have been nicer kids, just great program all the way around. My uh, sister-in-law was part of the uh, nursing contingent that administered COVID tests to, oh, really? to the players on a daily basis, and uh, she, her favorite team in the tournament that year was the Cougars of BYU. Because they were the nicest bunch. Really? Yeah. So, yeah, she was a big BYU fan during that turn. I don't think they got on much of a run there, but that was her vote. Speaking of votes, uh, Mark, do we have some, like, congratulations music? Maybe a – we probably should have planned this better, but we have an award winner joining us right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, Chris Denary. Jake, I forget the verbiage. Indiana Broadcaster of the Year? Is, I believe it's it, Indiana Sportscaster of the Year. Indiana Sportscaster of the Year. He is Chris Denary, former coach of Kevin Bowen back in the day, and you obviously hear him on Bally Sports. Chris, congrats on that. Extremely well-deserved. 
Hey, thank you very much. Uh, very honored to win. Uh, there are so many great sportscasters, broadcasters in Indiana, you two. I mean, just all over the map. So very, very flattered to, to win in 2022. And I have a long way to go to catch Don Fisher and Mark Boyle. Those guys have uh, pretty much owned the category the last number of years. GMB won it a few years ago as well. So uh, very honored and very flattered. I mean, just like you guys, we don't do what we do uh, to win awards. We do what we do because we love it. And uh, but But very... Uh, very gratifying to have to be recognized by my peers. So very, very, I, I've always very been good. appreciative, Chris, and I know you are as well. Um, one of the things I think that people recognize about you, um, I, I don't know whether it comes out in me or not, I know it comes out in you, but I know that we share this, is that it's not lost on you that if it were not for people watching games or listening to broadcasts, you know, we wouldn't be able to do what we do, right? Like, we're just the lucky guys that were put in this position, and I think that that, that ability to keep that in perspective kind of resonates through your microphone, which is why you got that award, one of the reasons why. Well, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, I love what I do, but, you know, first and foremost, I'm a, I'm a husband, a father, a grandfather, and all of those things, you know, define me. And, and you know, clearly, I mean, what I do um, in this market, I mean, people know me because of some of those things, but that's, that's not all that I'm about, but uh, you're right. We have so many, so many people that rely on you know us uh, after after a tough day or whatever has gone through. Um, you know to just sit back and watch a game or get up in the morning and drive to work and listen to you guys. And we're very very lucky and thankful that we get to do what we do. It, it hit on me um, on Wednesday night. You know when I was a kid. I mean, my dad was a high school coach and teacher, and, you know, I wanted to be like him. Um, and I would sit on the floor and play Stratomatic and all kinds of just board games, you know, with basketball or football or baseball, and I would call a game into a tape recorder. And I vividly remember playing the Indiana Pacers season one year, you know, in the early 70s and uh, when they were in the ABA. And then when they got to the NBA, I was probably, you know, 14 or 15, and I still would play it, and I'd pretend that I was calling a game at Madison Square Garden. And here I was Wednesday night at Madison Square Garden. So, uh, yeah, just very, very thankful to uh, get to do what I get to do. We're lucky to hear you. Tonight, 7 o'clock, Pacers and Hawks. Kristen Airy again, TV voice of the Pacers, with us here. Uh, what do you make of the Tyrese Halliburton update? I think you can certainly look at it glass half full and just the non-ligament you know, ligament, uh, angle to it all, but at the same time, it's a substantial loss for multiple weeks. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, when we were getting on the bus and going to the airport, you saw him on the crutch. Uh, he, had, he had one crutch, and you know he was walking very gingerly and very slowly, and your, your mind is racing to know, hey, you know, what, what's going to happen tomorrow? So... I agree with you to to at least have him reevaluated in two weeks to me was the best case scenario because I think everybody was thinking, um, you know, it could be far worse. So, uh, you know, the Pacers will have to deal with that, just like a lot of other teams in the NBA are dealing with injuries right now. Kevin Durant's out for a month uh, in Brooklyn. I mean, you can go up and down all the rosters. So um, it'll be difficult because he is the leader of this team. He's the leading scorer. Um, he's the voice, uh, you know, he's, he's the guy that finds guys, uh, for easy shots. So, um, it'll be something the Pacers will have to deal with over the next two weeks. Chris, do you, are you under the impression I am, but you're closer to it than I, I'm under the impression that for a couple of reasons, one being that Tyrese Halliburton's health is, is paramount, but also 
that they won't necessarily feel any urgency in getting him back, that they will take it as long as they need to get him back because there are some good young players that can fill in, but also just because that's kind of what this year, I think, in the grand scheme of things is about, is learning and navigating. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you you don't want to... You know he he is your he's the leader of your franchise. So you want to make sure you know he's healthy when he comes back. And you know he had two injuries, and it could have been three because when he landed, uh, Hartenstein stepped on his other foot, but it was his left knee and his left elbow. He hit the floor with those, and that's where the issue was. So yeah, you 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 want to bring him back. Uh, when he's fully healthy, and and you're right, Jake. I mean, you've got some young guys. You've got Andrew Nemhard that you know. Think back to what he did in the Golden State game. I know that's just a one-off, but it showed the type of player that he is and the ability that he has to lead a team. So, yeah, I, I think you know where they are. They they booked the number of wins in the front half of the season at 23 and 18. Uh, started with a loss on Wednesday, a, a near miraculous comeback with all those guys on the bench. Uh, but, but yeah, they'll they'll take their time to make sure he's healthy when he comes back. Kenny's Chris Denary, he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Back-to-back at home for the Pacers this weekend, Hawks and the Grizzlies. Want to get more into those matchups here in just a second. But you know, more on the Halliburton front, do you expect Andrew Nemhard gets that starting point guard role? Um, you know, he's done a lot. Point guard hasn't been asked of him a ton with the starters, of course, because Halliburton has been so healthy. But that would allow McConnell to stick with the second unit and again give Hall or give Nemhard a chance to kind of do what he did at Gonzaga last year. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they like TJ coming off the bench, and you just slide Nemhard uh, over to the primary ball handler position. Now he was sharing that a little bit with Tyrese uh, with two ball handlers. The, the real story tonight will be to see who's available because Aaron Neesmith did not play with a non-COVID illness on Wednesday. Uh, O'Shea Brissett was not available. Miles Turner, just minutes before tip-off, was not available. So who knows what that starting lineup will look like, but I would anticipate, at least in the backcourt, that they would like to keep T.J. McConnell in his role off the bench because he provides so much energy with the second unit, and it will be interesting to see who is a part of of that second unit tonight and tomorrow night against Memphis. Well, what was the Miles uh, update? Was it did he have an MRI on the back? I don't. I, well, they did not practice yesterday. I haven't seen anything on Miles. I just know that when we got on the bus um, on Wednesday night after the game, I mean, he he was ginger as well, uh, walking very slowly. Um, I think he was doing better. That was the report that we got from Rick Carlisle after the game. But uh, we, we have not gotten an update on Miles, other than the fact, I believe, on the injury report, he's listed as questionable yeah. with back spasms. Chris, I'll be the optimist here. Sometimes when guys get hurt, it means significant minutes for other players. And then down the road, maybe it's later that year, maybe it's a year later, you look back and you go, you know, that was a really critical 10-game stretch because that guy finally got a chance to show what he can do. Not saying this guy has been denied chances, but if Miles Turner is not going to be able to go full bore for a couple of games, then the opportunity is there probably when he most needs it for Isaiah Jackson to just get his confidence back. I thought the other day when he got minutes at home, I think it was against Charlotte that you know he played well considering he was coming off of Fort Wayne. A lot of guys could sulk in that. But is this finally the the confidence booster perhaps awaiting him that he needs? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, his minutes have been uh, a little different here of late because they've opted to use Jalen Smith as the backup five. 
they moved him from the starting four. And so you just have limited minutes there. If Miles is going to play, you know, 28 to, to 30 minutes, then Jalen's going to probably play 18. So I, I think we can see if that's the case. Uh, Isaiah put up maybe more numbers like we saw last year when he had prime opportunity to play with, with Miles missing the last 40 games, and especially before the Pacers acquired Jalen Smith. So you're right, uh, and I think it was really important for him, and I think it's great for he and the franchise that he went up and played a couple of games in Fort Wayne. That, that's, that's why you have that G League franchise is you've got the opportunity to give guys playing time on the Pacers roster if they're not seeing playing time, you know, you know, you know, on the NBA side. So, yeah, that that'll be something to watch. Um, he he's done a nice job when he's had the opportunity this year. And if if Miles is out for a few games, he'll need to step up, no question. Okay, tonight is Trey Young and the Hawks. I believe Trey Young is good to go. I know he missed last game due to an illness, and then John Morant tomorrow with Memphis. Uh, Morant played on Wednesday night, no back-to-back for the Grizzlies. So you could be looking at two of the more exciting guards in the NBA, different style guards, but two extremely exciting guards. Chris, I I think you look at these two games, you look at the road trip coming up, I think you play Memphis and Milwaukee again, you know, maybe like late January. I think the schedule's about to toughen up a bit. No question. Uh, Next week road trip, uh, after these two home games, you have Milwaukee on Monday, first of four that you'll play against the Bucs. Then on Wednesday, you have Oklahoma City. Shea Gilgis-Alexander's averaging 30, and they just won at Philadelphia last night. I mean, they're a team uh, that is very, very young, uh, but playing some good basketball. And then you end the road trip with a back-to-back at Denver at Phoenix. Now, Phoenix is struggling a little bit right now because they don't have Devin Booker, but that's always a tough place to play. And then you come back home, and I think you have Chicago. Yeah, you're, you have Memphis on the 29th. So, uh, yeah, that that's what this NBA schedule is all about. And if you go back, think back uh, to the New York loss uh, on December 16th. The Pacers are 8-3 and three since, and we looked at that stretch at Boston, at Miami, Toronto, all those games, and thought, man, where are the Pacers going to pick up a win? And they went 8-3 and three in the last 11. So uh, you just got to take it, as Rick says, possession by possession, game by game, and let's see who's available. But clearly, uh, tonight and tomorrow, very difficult back-to-backs against uh, an Atlanta team trying to find itself and a Memphis team, I think, has won seven or eight in a row. So, yeah, this will be, be a tough weekend for the Pacers. Interesting, because Memphis is a team, Chris, that if you look at the way that they kind of turn things around, I mean, you know, having John Morant is huge, right? But... Am I correct in saying that the Pacers brass would tell you that Memphis and just kind of the blueprint of how this team was assembled that we see for the Grizzlies is kind of the blueprint that Indiana decided to follow a little bit in this rebuild slash retool? Yeah, no question, Jake. And I think you can look at Cleveland, too. Uh, Memphis and Cleveland built through the draft with you know some pretty good draft picks. If you look at Morant and Jaron Jackson, uh, Dylan Brooks, uh, Brandon Clark. Uh, they were able to add Indiana native out of Richmond, Desmond Bain, late in the first round. You know, Cleveland's done the same with Mobley and Garland and Okoro and, you know, just all the guys that they've been able to amass. So there's no question that I think Indiana has looked at that model. Uh, that's what they did last year, getting Chris Duarte and Isaiah Jackson. Uh, this year, getting Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard. Um, your ability to build through the draft, getting quality young players, give them a lot of opportunity to play. Uh, it, we look at Memphis 
as you know a 50 win team a couple of years ago i think they won 25 or 26 games right but it's that experience that they got by playing those young guys um that's why really if you look at it the pacers are ahead of schedule nobody thought that they'd be 23 and 19 right now and i don't think anybody thought guys that in a clutch in a clutch situation they're 16 and 11 They've won 16 games. And Chris, look uh, at who they have on the floor in those moments. That's the thing to me. I'm watching games now, and it's late in the fourth, and I'm looking out on the floor, and I'm like, wait a minute. They've got Nimhart on the floor. They've got Matherin on the floor, Halliburton when he's healthy, obviously, and Neesmith. I mean, you're talking about four guys that realistically should be within like maybe a year removed from being college basketball players, realistically, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, Halliburton and Neesmith are 22 years old in their third year. Um, the two first guys you mentioned are, mentioned are rookies. So you're right. You're out there in, in clutch situations trying to win a game uh, with some young guys, and that's experience that you just put in the vault and save. And uh, it's been good to see them be so successful this year. It's only going to help them in the future uh, being able to book all this kind of uh, – uh, stuff in your resume as you're getting ready for the rest of your career. Chris, I, I know it, you've got many, many games between now and then, but one of my favorite things late May every year is sitting in Stan Jay, coming up, having a word with you in turn four before the start of the Indianapolis 500. Did you see yesterday's news on the 2024 entry of Kyle Larson into the Indianapolis 500? Yes, I think we've all been waiting for somebody to do the double, right? And, uh, you know, it's tough. But, yeah, that that's going to be cool to see. I mean, he's a guy that I think many people thought years ago would be an open wheel racing. And, you know, like a number of guys do, like Tony Stewart did back in the day and Jeff Gordon, they, they routed themselves to NASCAR. But that'll be absolutely outstanding uh, to, to see Kyle Larson at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, for the Indianapolis 500. Okay, so there's 200 laps in the race, over under 185 that Jake Query steps over you from turn turn three <laughs> to turn four. Oh, no, Jake, Jake, you know, it, it's funny because I'm the guy that just... Don't get me politically blends, correct. Give me honesty no, here. No, I, I'm the guy that just blends in for a race here and there. And, and people have asked us, how do you guys do it? Well, we do a little bit of practice, right, Jake, on carburetion? We do. Day, but it's just a feel that we have... And, you know, there's a, a certain point that Jake will drop him off. And if Jake needs to go a little bit more, that's fine. You know, that's, I mean, we have 200 laps, right? We, we can't be perfect uh, all 200. We, we try to be as close as we are. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's a thrill to do that every now, year. And, this and, will stun Kevin, Chris, but I want you to back me up here. I'm not saying I do it every time. But if I carry them too long and drop to you too late out of sequence... I try to then get on the intercom and apologize to you. And I do oh, that occasionally, absolutely. right? Oh, no question. Jake, look at my bad. My bad. Um, see? Mark, does he want credit for his apology? Ultimate team player. Is that I'm what you're hearing there? Ultimate team mm-hmm. player. Yeah. Give me uh, a pat on the back, please. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who is the broadcaster of the year listen, here? Uh, that is true, but I love me some me. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, in all seriousness, congrats. You know, I've been fortunate to know you for, gosh, 25, 30 years now, and uh, you've been a class act in our interactions from day one. So, uh, well, well deserved, and looking forward to the next couple nights here, which should be a couple fun nights inside of Gamebridge Fieldhouse, even without Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, atmosphere has been great. Uh, hats off, as Jake said, we do this because the fans, you know, follow us. But the fans in the building have been just sensational. The last month, uh, the building's been electric. And six straight wins, 
Uh, they're trying for seven straight home wins, so six straight home wins. They, the Pacers have not won seven straight at home since, I think, 2015. Wow. So they've got a real chance to do that tonight. It, it, it'll be a fun night at uh, Gamebridge Fieldhouse. 7 o'clock, the tip. Coverage begins at 6.30 over on Bally Sports. Chris, have a great call. All right, thanks, guys. That is the broadcaster of the year, sportscaster of the year, I believe. Um, right there, Chris Denary on the Payless Liquors Hotline. 6 o'clock, last word for the Colts, 6.30, our radio coverage, 10.30, Indiana Sports Talk tonight. By the way, Rob Nikovich right now on one of the networks, they're talking about who should pursue Derek Carr. And guess who stop he it. says? Just stop it. And then Kevin started dry heaving. No. Guess who he says? No. Let's go back to talking about Luke Heron, Goody, if we're going to talk <laughs> about We should this. go back to talking about the fact that Mark's wearing his PBR shirt. I am. On the well, heels of yesterday. Well, let's talk about PBR parties and whatnot. Hey, listen, I would need a shotgun about 17 the, PBRs if you tell me Derek Carr has been traded the to the PBR Colts. party is starting to shake, take form, I'm telling you. People are getting psyched. So what is happening at the PBR party? Is we, we just sit around beer? and watch the Well, we're not going to tell PBR. people. I mean, that you know. What happens to the Kevin's PBR party? Get hammered the and PBR Luke Heron is my hero. <laughs> We're going to play pin the mullet on Luke Heron. Give me that nap for me. Give me that nap for me. Give me jersey number at Notre Dame. This is the concept for Benedict Mathurin's statue. Stick with me here. That's Bronze right. everywhere. That's right. No, I think. No well, on Derek Carr. No. I think you, you were kind of interested in him last year, though. But Mark, before the Matt Ryan, thing that happened. financial commitment, oh yeah, is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I, again, I think he's a fine quarterback, but enough is enough. And as I mentioned earlier, it's what thirty-one million next year, and then north of forty million. I think we've also learned. We've also learned that this roster is not a quarterback away. Right. If Agreed. they were a quarterback yeah. away, then mm-hmm. yes, they're not. Yeah, yeah, there's too many holes that you need to use your draft pick. And you know for. what? It was important for Chris Bauer to say that earlier in the week. And he did. And I'm sure that took a little bit of you know, difficulty for him to admit that, but that is accurate with how the Colts 4-12 and 1 season. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jake, we had uh, Paul Casaro on with us earlier in the week, UND men's basketball coach, 86-67 over Missouri. And as I thought I saw, uh, strength and conditioning. Or is it science and technology, we decided? Science and technology. Last night down there at Nickerson Hall. And Nathaniel, who's in studio with us, calling the game tomorrow. So UND 13-2 on the year, ranked 24th in the nation. And a pretty good year for Paul Casaro in year three. At the helm. By the way, happy birthday. Is it 36th birthday? Oh, good Jimmy. That's right. Good Jimmy's birthday. I did want to mention earlier, um, we talked about it earlier in the week, listener Matt, um, his son Colton, a heart procedure in the hospital earlier this week. We're still thinking about him. Um, Definitely keeping the little guy in our thoughts and prayers. um, Sounds like a stay a little bit longer than they expected, so thinking about Matt and Colton, his entire family, as they deal with that right now. A full slate of games when it comes to the playoffs this weekend. It is always kind of fun when you look outside, the weather's like this, and it's like just plunk down on the couch and watch some football, right? You know, and I have to admit, you know, we were talking about AFC Championship game, neutral site in Atlanta. I 
did think to myself driving in, Jake. January 2015, last time Lucas Oil hosted a playoff game. Can you recall the opponent? I bet I could. Hold on. Boy, Kansas City comes to mind. That was the year prior. Okay. January 2014, of course, the comeback game. 2015, the Colts made the AFC Championship game, the Deflategate game. They won at Denver in the divisional round. To get to Denver, they beat who? I'll go with Baltimore. Mark Dykton? Boy, I'm trying to think. Low-scoring game. Andrew Luck to Dante Moncrief. Kind of a vintage Luck play. Was Chargers are also oddly in my mind for some reason. This is a team that just Patriots kind of defined their era with Marvin Lewis and Andy Dalton. Oh, well, the Bengals then. I don't know that I have any memory of the Bengals coming here for a playoff game. A.J. Green, Dalton, Marvin Lewis. Was Marvin Lewis at 0-7 Marvin Lewis in playoff games? Yeah. Awesome. I mean, they mm-hmm. just kept re-racking it, right? So, yeah, it's been a while. Um, after that doom and gloom note by Kevin Bowen, let's focus on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Um, again, two games Saturday, three on Sunday, and then Monday is Dallas and Tampa. Let's start with tomorrow, guys. 49ers and Seahawks. Chargers and Jags just to go over the lines on both of those for the, those that care. San Fran favored by nine and a half. The Chargers are a two and a half point road favorite. Mark Dykin, who you like tomorrow? I like the 49ers. I think they're they've been great despite being on their third quarterback of the year. They've been really good, especially at home. Give me the 49ers to top the Seahawks. And then the Chargers Jaguars is a hard pick for me, but I'm gonna go with the Chargers. I hate to Echo Mark, but but I agree with both of those. I, Jacksonville, Ooh, no, no Trevor Lawrence pick for you. No, Jacksonville played really well against the Chargers, and I like the way they're playing. Travis Etienne's kind of given them, I think, kind of a security blanket for Lawrence. But as you had mentioned, the Chargers are starting to get healthy. I do think the world of Justin Herbert's talent. They've got some big weapons. I could still root for Mike Williams, former Clemson wide receiver for the Chargers, but um, I like the Chargers there and. I said three wild card teams would win. So I'll take the Chargers as the first. And then looking at this, okay, yeah, I, I've got, I still can get to three. Seattle would have been one I would look towards, but I do think San Francisco's defense is going to hold on. I'm going to take Seattle to cover. Okay. okay. Nine and a half. Take them to yeah, cover. Yeah, I would agree they'll probably cover that. Sounds like an ugly weather game. You know, rookie Kenneth Walker. Can Seattle run it a little bit? Kind of play a low-scoring game there. Um, I will go with the Chargers, but I'm with Mark. I was really torn on that one. All right, moving to Sunday. Unfortunately, two AFC games are really big spreads. Dolphins at Bills. That's a 13-pointer for Buffalo. The night game is then uh, Cincinnati, 9.5 over Baltimore. Backup quarterbacks for both those road teams. And then Vikings-Giants. I think we all probably can agree on Buffalo and Cincinnati. I think that's a game... Which is disappointing. That's a game where by the fourth quarter, Buffalo may be with their backup quarterback. Could Baltimore hang in there? Maybe, but that's a big maybe. That's disappointing because both those matchups would be really good if they're at full strength at quarterback. Yeah, you're right. I know. Um, I think I'm going to take Minnesota and let you two ride with the Giants. Okay, that's fine. I'll take the Giants. Yep. So there's my second road team in our two and a half over under. Just think. 
gosh, you got to think that offensive skill from Minnesota carries them at some point, and that's going to be a, just a rocket environment. Stars, no doubt, it's going to be a great environment there. Um, all right, let's look at Monday: Cowboys and Bucks. The twelve and five Cowboys. Did I see last night correctly? I think it's eleven straight road playoff losses for Dallas. Mm-hmm. At Tampa Bay, that's the eight and nine Bucks. It is a two and a half point favorite for America's team. America's team beats America's least liked quarterback. Dallas wins. There's my third road team. I've been going with the Bucks all weekend and saying Mike McCarthy is going to be on the hot seat, and if they lose, they will be fired. So I got to roll with Tom Brady and the Bucks. To send the Cowboys packing once again. I agree if there's a quarterback that, I mean, there's something about Brady in the postseason. Dak has like, been really? off, too. Here we are. He's been off a lot lately. Kevin, your pick? Yeah, he has struggled. Um, you know, you guys obviously hold in high regard my Super Bowl pick from the start of the year. That would be Raiders-Cowboys. Mm-hmm. I, I got to stick with Dallas, right? Well, do you? I mean, your Super Bowl winner was the Raiders. Are we rooting for T.Y. Hilton? He'll have one catch for 23 yards, and it'll be a big one. I'll go Cowboys. Brady's last game? No. No. Looking at it here, which of those matchups that we just described has the least expensive entry ticket on the secondary market, and which has the most expensive entry-level ticket? It's least gotta, expensive? Gotta I'm going to say Jaguars. Yeah, it could be Chargers-Jags. I mean, Because Chargers fans would have to... I mean, Chargers are not... Bringing any sort of road yeah. fans to the, that game. Least expensive ticket right now: Seattle at San Francisco. Really, Gosh, tickets, Seattle tickets as low as sixty-nine dollars. So the Chargers nice. and Jags, eighty-nine dollars. Okay, Gronk Mo- will be at that game probably then. Oh, okay, most expensive. <sighs> most expensive. Uh-huh. Cowboys Bucks. Yeah, I would say that. I one. guess whichever has the smallest venue. Probably Cowboys Bucks tickets starting as low as one hundred and seventy dollars. There is Ooh. another. Matchup that tickets are starting at one hundred and eighty nine dollars. Bengals Ravens. That is correct. Do we have the Bengals fight song? We should play the Bengals fight song for that. Looking ahead to the Colts head coaching search coming up. Do you not know the Bengals? Fight I know song? it. It's a flatulent Bengal. Again, three <laughs> interviews so far. Bubba Ventrone on Wednesday. Yesterday, Ajiro Avero, the D coordinator for the Broncos. Eric Bieniemy. Last night, the Chiefs offensive coordinator. Coming up today, reportedly, Raheem Morris, the defensive coordinator from the Rams. Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator for the Lions. And then tomorrow, Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator for the Eagles. So I did want to sneak in here late, Jake. A nice win for the IU women last night. They beat Maryland, top 10 matchup yeah. in Assembly Hall. Continue to play well. Somebody sent me thinks that Indiana's got themselves a top 10 basketball team. This year. Right, here we go. Here's the flexible bingle. We did not hear this when the Colts-Bengals played back in that last game, last playoff game of Lucas Oil. The tuba doesn't get enough respect in the musical instrument category. Nor tuba, please. <laughs> Buddy of mine married into a big Bengals family. I've enjoyed getting to know their fandom throughout the year. I think the Bengals have a little underrated fan base. Man, I saw a lot of Pete Johnson, Archie Griffin, Isaac Curtis, Kenny Anderson games back in my childhood. Uh, tonight again, along with the Pacers and Hawks, you've got Purdue and Nebraska, 7 o'clock from Mackey. The Boilers favored by over two touchdowns in that one. Butler and Villanova at Hinkle. Butler, a slight favorite against Kyle Neptune. Insert your plan at joke here, Jake. I know you're thinking it in that one. Uh, Butler... 
Butler's got to get something going here, so why not start it tonight, I guess, right? Because they, they've been struggling. I think well. Villanova's lost four or five, and the one win is the Big East free space game what, we've talked about. Do you know what they're hoping Neptune brings them, by the way? Should we end it now? Could we? Rings. I thought there was going to be a Uranus joke in there or <laughs> that, something. Mark would have gone there. That's now, didn't they get that's rings fine. with Jay Wright? Um, yeah, does he drive a Saturn? Everybody have a great weekend. We'll have a show on Monday. See you.